Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, bringing you today's podcast, which is presented by Underdog Fantasy. They will match your first deposit bonus up to $100 if you use promo code ETR. So make sure to use promo code ETR. Even though the offseason's over with, they still have in-season best ball draft, they have weekly DFS contests. Make sure to check out Underdog and use promo code ETR for up to $100 free. As far as the in-season content schedule for Establish the Edge, I'm going to try and do about one to two podcasts a week and keep it going. Be somewhat kind of ad hoc today. And they're going to be a little bit shorter podcasts, just so busy during the week doing DFS stuff. But I still want to hit on some season-long stuff. I think it'll be mostly geared season-long, but maybe I'll mix in some DFS topics. So today's topic is going to be immediate reactions to week one. I did a Twitter thread the other day talking about three things I think I got right for the season based on week one and three things I think I got wrong. So I'm going to talk about those six things and then expand on some other takeaways from week one. One of the things I think I got right for week one was this Las Vegas Raiders passing attack. So some really exciting stuff for them on multiple fronts. First of all, their pass rate over expectation was 6.7%. They threw a 77% pass rate. Now they were trailing most of this game, so their expected pass rate was very high at 70%, but they still beat expectation. So that was good. Two, they were so condensed, man. We saw no one, no one had more than I think two targets then than Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro. So that was kind of the thesis for being high on both Adams and Waller. And honestly, we we had a decent ranking on Renfro, even though I wasn't drafting a ton, was that they they would get they would just be so condensed. That's an 81% combined target share. Specifically, I was really high on Devontae Adams, had him ahead of Stefan Diggs and my ranks for round one. We now have Devontae Adams up to sixth overall in our rest of season top 150 at wide receiver four there. And he sees a 46% target share out of the gate. And this just reaffirms Rodgers is going to struggle way more without Devontae Adams than the other side around. And this is a team that's going to throw more than Green Bay through um, due to both the aggressive play calling and just the nature of the team not being as strong in the conference and the division that they play in. Adams specifically saw the exact type of goal line targets that he sees that he saw in Green Bay that people were worried would go away without Aaron Rodgers. So absolutely buying Devontae Adams. And honestly, I'm still in on Waller and Renfro because the big takeaway here too is it's condensed. Devontae Adams is not going to have a 46% target share. Probably going to be a 30% target share guy again. That's who he is. But if it's that concentrated, that means there's room for Waller and Renfro to maybe even still be in the low 20s. And this trio could combine for, I don't know, they're not going to combine for 80%, but maybe they combine for 65 to 70% of the targets. And if it's a high volume pass offense, all of them can get there in that format. And I did kind of have a hot take that I had Waller ahead of Kyle Pitts. By the end of the draft season, I realized I was wrong on that. And the Kyle Pitts age versus the Waller age and the upside for Pitts was higher. And that Pitts should have been going higher than Waller. And I stand by that change. But I do think we sort of saw week one why Waller was ahead, which is a little bit more efficient in this past game offense, outscores Pitts by a decent bit, even with just a 16% target share and being overshadowed by Devonta Adams. In regards to Kyle Pitts, I'm just worried about the quarterback play and the offense there. He's obviously really talented. 
the good news for Pitts, who's on you know the buy Leone wide receiver model this week, is like the opportunities were there. Target share exactly what we expected, low twenties. Had some downfield looks. Really good a dot for a tight end. Um, he's going to have some really big weeks. I'm just worried he's going to have a lot of bust weeks, and it's pretty high opportunity cost there. Second thing I feel pretty good about is Juju Smith-Schuster. And I think this is a really actionable takeaway because I think you can buy low in your season-long fantasy leagues. So Juju ends up going, I believe, 6 for 79 was his final line. And it doesn't look all that impressive in terms of the fantasy scoring. He doesn't find the end zone. He fumbles twice, losing one of them. But if you break down how it happened, he was utilized early and often. He had eight targets in the first half of this game that turned into a blowout. And it seemed like they rested him a bit down the stretch. I think, you know, we could see him with a 10 catch game tonight against the Chargers. Would not be shocked at all. Juju Schuster's just going to walk into 100 plus catches in this Kansas City offense. He looked good. He was clearly the second read behind Travis Kelsey. You absolutely have to buy Juju Smith-Schuster if you don't already have him on your roster. Huge opportunity here before the fantasy points start to follow You know the opportunity that we saw week one. And in addition to those eight targets, I think he saw, he saw another downfield target that didn't count because of the penalties. It was really like a nine-target first half, which is like absurd to have a nine-target first half with Patrick Mahomes. And you were being drafted in the fifth round. That's insane. So go out there and make some offers for Juju Smith-Schuster. Try and get him on your fantasy team. The other thing I think I got right, uh, which is hard to tell, is San Francisco um, and my concerns over the pass catchers there. Now, this one's hard to tell. I'm going to bring up our PROE graphic, which is pass rate over expectation. Um, and shout out to Michael Heary, who does these for us. Hopefully you can see him if you're watching on YouTube. But you can see San Francisco, really low pass rate over expectation. They were dead last in the NFL, nearly a minus 20% PROE. Now, this game, you can see Chicago was second last. And it's hard to parse. These are two teams we expect to run a lot. But this field was a disaster. Tons of rain. So I don't put a ton of stock into it. And I want to see what happens week two in a favorable matchup against Seattle before like you're really hitting the panic button. But I do think there's some concerns that the defense is good enough. This team doesn't have to throw a lot. Trey Lance is going to run a lot. This team that already started with a really low pass rate with Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, they're barely throwing the ball over 50% of the time. Now, some of those dropbacks, even if they get called at the same rate with Trey Lance, they turn into scrambles. Now the pass attempts are even lower. So, if and tr- and Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, for all his flaws, had a high yards per attempt and a pretty good completion rate. Now, if we get Trey Lance with a low completion rate on a very low volume of pass attempts in full PPR leagues, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle are gonna have problems with any sort of consistency. I think they're gonna flash big time weekly upside, but you're, you're gonna have some painful weeks there. So, those are, um, you know, three things that I think I got right early and I think you might be able to capitalize on in your leagues by either selling quickly or buying quickly depending on on which one it is as far as for things I think I got wrong so you can see in our rest of season top 150 at ETR right away at the top of the board is Jonathan Taylor over CMC 
I was too harsh on JT over the offseason. I think sometimes when you think the market's overconfident in something, in DFS, it's pays to have this contrarian mindset. And I may have gone a little too contrarian on JT. Didn't like hate him. Took him second overall in our FFPC 10K draft that uh, we did for Team ETR. Uh, that's recap that team on the episode before this on Establish the Edge, if you're curious in the rationale for Jonathan Taylor there. But he out targets CMC seven to four right away. And it's like, oof, you know, the, the, the whole thesis is CMC is just going to absolutely dominate Taylor and targets. Now, Taylor was in a pretty negative game script, but he had a lot of, but he played in that negative game script, which is key. So, and I mean, he had some target scheme for him early as well. seems like Matt Ryan's going to utilize the running back quite a bit in the passing game. So and Sean Siegel from Rotoviz has made some really good points about how Jonathan Taylor has been good as a receiver. He just hasn't been used a lot. So it's not a question of talent. And third-year running backs tend to see an uptick in that part of their game. And that's where we are with Jonathan Taylor. So I'm more excited about Taylor's ceiling. I'm not totally panicking on CMC. The team only ran 50 plays, and there was definitely some run bad there. I We still have him ranked two overall. I expect his targets to be up next game. But there's just enough uncertainty uh, that this offense could operate a little bit differently as CMC ages, and they have a different quarterback in here with Baker Mayfield that sw- swapped Jonathan Taylor one overall to CMC. And, um, you know, I'm not disappointed I had CMC over Taylor to start the season. I'm disappointed that I was so adamant about it because I think it was process-wise, not even just in hindsight after one week, they should have been closer. Another situation that I'm a little bit worried about, you can see Aaron Jones, who was a second round pick for us at the tail end of the draft season, drops to 27th overall, third round pick for us. If we take a look at the Green Bay utilization, we're going to see that Aaron Jones, 13% target share, AJ Dillon, 15.4%. Now, Dillon did have kind of a garbage time target late, but he out targets Aaron Jones. Uh, carry share doubles him up on carries and then gets basically a hundred percent of the goal line touches. That's not good for Aaron Jones. Uh, that's particularly not good if the team is going to stink. And I think there's some serious systemic risk with the green Bay offense. You know, everything with Vegas was pointing towards they're going to be fine without Devonte Adams. You know, they had a huge win total absurd odds to win in the NFC, but I'm absolutely concerned about them offensively. The good news on Jones, I think, you know, he's a hold. He's still outsnapped AJ Dillon. He's going to out-target Dillon over the long run. And the targets were still fine for Jones at 13%. We're hoping it's more in the high teens. He still has big play upside, a lot of efficiency upside, and the offense should be better than it was week one. But, you know, very clearly someone that uh, I think is going to struggle with consistency. I think you're still going to see some pretty big spike weeks, but not going to get the running back production you expected at a second round pick. Another guy that dropped a bit in our top 150 that I was on a ton is Kadarius Tony. And you know, sometimes it's good to put blinders on and just say, listen, this dude was a first round pick and a small sample had absurd yards per out run and target per out run numbers. There's opportunity here. It's also an offense I want to bet on. Like I'm, I'm just taking Tony. I'm going to ignore the noise about, you know, whatever behavioral or injury health risk issues he has. And then, you know, whatever is going on there, Tony 
clearly in the doghouse to start the year, uh, even though they're really thin at wide receiver. And if you, you paid a pick where I had him ranked, that's not good. You need this guy to be productive right away. Similar to Aaron Jones, like I still think he's a hold. If you're in real shallow leagues, he might be a drop. He reminds me a lot of Brandon Ayuk last year, which is like really exciting breakout wide receiver. Maybe gets a little bit too steamed in the draft season. Reality hits to start the year. We kind of get this unexpected dip in playing time that we, you know, again, that we did not expect to come from the year. Eventually, the talent wins out and he's productive down the stretch. So I think he could follow Ayuk's path from last year, possibly even get there quicker than Ayuk did and hit in, in a more impactful way, which is why I think he's a hold. But you know, certainly concerning right now. So those were the main things that I talked about on uh, Twitter. Three things I thought I got right. Three things I thought I got wrong. Another one I think I got wrong that I didn't talk about. Uh, I think I got wrong, but I'm like still excited about is the Waddle stuff. So I my one of my bold takes was Jalen Waddle over Tyreek Hill. You can see week one Tyreek Hill 36% target share. You know Jalen Waddle 15% target share. Absolutely, immediately, no way. Uh, you know, Waddle's not outscoring Tyree Kill if they're both healthy. I don't think. I think that's not to be too quick to, to react, but the priors in terms of what were the market viewed these two players was already in favor of Tyree Kill, and we get some pretty big confirmation of that right away. So that is uh, that 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 bold take is going to look bad. Waddle over Tyree Kill. The good news is Waddle, where he went in drafts, I still think is going to look good. The gap's not going to be that wide in target share. One of the theses behind Waddle was the improvement in Yak. We saw him take a slant to the house for a touchdown. So that Yak upside, we already got a quick glimpse of it. And the Dolphins were first in the entire NFL in pass rate over expectation, which means this team can support both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I think both guys are actually really likely to be very productive and, and have a good reward at where their ADP ended up. So I'm excited about Waddle. Uh, one other guy that I am excited for to, or two other guys that I've been on all offseason that I want to talk about as guys you should be targeting right now, I think. One is Traylon Burks. I was on the rookie wide receiver, really up and down camp in terms of, you know, the helium on him and, you know, Oh, he looks great. Oh, he looks terrible. Blah, blah, blah. And week one, we sort of saw what we expected. He didn't play a lot. Snapshot 37%. That's okay. You know, we didn't really expect him to play a ton week one. The thesis behind Burks was he's not going to play a ton, but is he going to flash when he plays? Because if he flash when he plays, then it's the type of guy that sooner rather than later, he's going to get in the lineup and he's going to be the clear wide receiver one. And he flashed. Okay. He had a really high targets per route run. His yards per route run. Um, I tweeted that out. Let me see if I can find that, that tweet. Yeah, so I tweeted that out, but the yards per route run was 4.23. He went three for 55 on five targets on just 13 routes. All the other Tennessee wide receivers combined went nine for 114 on 14 targets and 72 routes. That's a 1.6 yards per route run. And besides Kyle Phillips, who's the slot guy and they can coexist together, you know, the, the other receivers really didn't do anything. In fact, Burks was second in target share on the entire team. Robert Woods with a paltry 6% target share, despite playing 71% in the snaps. That's what we want to see if we're Burks fans. So go out and get Traylon Burks. If you're in a 12-team or 14-team league, absolutely has to be rostered. 
big time upside down the stretch. The other guy that I think is interesting um, to, to take a look at is Kenneth Walker, who I was on as a potential league winner. He's already back in practicing. Rashad Penny, of course, was the lead dog week one. Had a, had a fine game, even had a few targets out of the backfield. Nothing crazy spectacular, though. I think this offense is, you know, it's still a struggle for me in terms of it's a bad offense, and I don't think Walker's going to catch a lot of passes, and that's usually not the archetype that I'm after. But in this case, what I'm seeing is a rookie running back with an elite rushing prospect profile that you can get for basically free who has draft capital. And again, kind of with Tony, how I talked about, I had some blinders on to some stuff because I'm just thinking about the upside at a certain price. Tony's price maybe got too rich or, you know, maybe it's just not going to hit the way I thought. And that's going to happen. It's probably more likely than not that Kenneth Walker isn't all that useful for you given his cost. But the upside is there again, if we have blinders on and just say elite rushing profile, good draft capital, bad teams. There's no reason really for them not to play him down the stretch. Uh, I would be trying to acquire Kenneth Walker on the cheap right now. Okay, looking forward to having more quick-hitting episodes like this, one to two again per week over the course of the season. If you have any feedback, please let me know. You can follow me on Twitter at 2 hats one mike If you're an established run subscriber, you can ping me in the Discord, uh, whether it's a DFS channel or a season-long channel. Would love to hear from you. Appreciate everybody listening. Best of luck in week two. Thank you.